Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? You know... If you spend enough time with uh, a young kid, like, you know, four or five, then you're likely to get pulled into a conversation in which the kid starts asking about how the world works and then just keeps on going. And every answer you provide leads to more questions. This can actually be funny. It can end up being confusing. It could be frustrating. Uh, Sometimes it can get intimidating once you start to reach the limits of your own knowledge and understanding. You've got this inquisitive child trying to make sense of the world around them. They're looking to you as the authority on all things everywhere. And you are perilously close to admitting that you don't actually know how it all works. And we're all just really doing the best we can. And we're making up a lot of this stuff as we go along the way. Maybe I'm projecting here, but my point is, That kids have this deep desire to know how stuff works and why things are 
the way they are. And this same spirit underlies the core of science. Uh, you know, we use this process and we use documentation and we use hypotheses and tests to get a better handle on what's going on and why. But at the heart of it all are these questions. And sometimes the answers we find open up a whole new array of questions, and that gets exciting and sometimes a little exhausting and sometimes scary. Now, that is a wild preamble to this very, very goofy episode, because we're going to talk about some of the strangest stuff we've sent. Keep in mind, sending stuff into space is wicked expensive. Every pound of payload you add requires a certain amount of fuel, and that fuel is costly. Like, it is a non-trivial thing to add to a payload that's going to be sent into outer space. Privatized space industry has changed this a little bit, but it's still wicked expensive, which makes it even more interesting when you have some very weird stuff having been sent up there. Now, some of this stuff could sound arbitrary or it's, you know, a goof or it was some form of promotion or maybe a symbolic gesture. And those are often fair assessments. There will be cases we talk about in this episode where undeniably it was not for some noble cause. However, we also have had some weird stuff we've sent up that, you know, once you get it out into space, you be you realize it behaves differently and that that was the point that we sent the stuff up in order to see how it's affected to understand why it's different, how this could be useful in the future. Now, as I said, not everything we're going to cover today is useful. A lot of it's not, but as little red riding hood once said, I know things now, many valuable things that I hadn't known before. And some of these things include the links to which companies or rich people will go in order to promote stuff or get a big PR splash. Sometimes to the moon is being literal, y'all. So in no particular order, I'm not going chronologically or in order of craziness, I guess. Here are some of the weird things that have made the journey up to space for one reason or another. Uh, some of these things return to Earth. Some of them were left up there. And we're going to start off with one of the strangest critters on the planet, the tardigrade. Now, tardigrades are tiny. They uh, measure less than a millimeter in length. Typically, you're going to be using a microscope to really observe these little critters. Now, magnified, they kind of look like puffy, eight-legged creatures that you would expect to see on an episode of Doctor Who. They have a mouth that looks kind of like a vacuum cleaner attachment. Uh, they're sort of cute. I think it just depends upon what you think of as cute. I think they look kind of cute, but other people might think they look horrifying. And they are resilient creatures. That is putting it lightly. They can survive in incredibly harsh conditions from extreme temperatures, either extreme cold, like colder than any normal organism could survive or extreme heat. They can survive beyond the temperature of boiling. They can also survive insane amounts of pressure. They also can survive exposure to nuclear radiation. 
they can survive for long periods without any water. And they do this by entering what's called a ton state. It's kind of like suspended animation. They curl up, they tuck their legs and their head and curl up into a ball. And essentially biological processes halt. In fact, their, their cells end up creating these matrices that keep all of their DNA intact. Because otherwise, if they dried out enough, things like that would deteriorate. But effectively, they put scaffolding in place. I mean, they don't put it. It happens by natural process. But this sort of scaffolding forms inside their cells that holds everything in place while this creature goes into suspended animation. And it can stay like that for ages. Then when it encounters water again, the water dissolved these matrices from inside the cells and the cells return to their normal state. They come out of the ton state. And they go back to being a happy little water bear. Oh, that's, uh, by the way, another name for tardigrades is water bears. Now, these critters can be found on every continent here on Earth, including Antarctica. Also, they can be found in oceans. They can be found in freshwater. They could probably be found in your yard. And there are thousands of species of tardigrades, and they're super cool. But then there was a question. If these suckers are that resilient and they have shown an incredible ability to survive even the harshest of conditions, could they survive if they were exposed to the vacuum of space? Well, that was a question that scientists wanted answers to. And so in 2007, the European Space Agency sent up a a packet of tardigrades as one of many experiments conducted during a mission. And the tardigrades were exposed to the vacuum of space, even to cosmic radiation. This is stuff that could really mess up a human. I mean, the vacuum of space, if you're exposed to it for any length of time, you're going to be messed up to be certain and probably dead. Cosmic radiation could cause really big problems down the road, which is one of the main concerns we have about designing long-term space missions in a way that's safe for the people who are aboard them. But sure enough, upon retrieval, these tardigrades were found to survive the process with no real ill effects. Some folks even speculated that maybe tardigrades actually are not terrestrial creatures, that they had arrived on Earth by hitching rides on material that ultimately crashed into the planet. There are a lot of theories that perhaps the the seeds of life on Earth actually came from outer space. However, scientists have ruled that out for tardigrades. They found that tardigrades did, in fact, originate here on Earth. So while you might hypothesize that they could have survived a trip through space until landing on a planet that has water, that's not what actually happened. That being said, tardigrades might play a part in experimenting with organisms uh, to see if they could survive on other planets in the future. Uh, You know, a planet that might be harsh for most organisms might actually be a suitable place for tardigrades. That's really far off in the future if it ever happens at all, but it is a possibility. Now, when it comes to unlikely astronauts, dinosaurs, I would say, would be way up there. I mean, for one thing, They've been extinct for millions of years, so it's really hard to get one to commit to the strict training regimen of becoming an astronaut. Now, this has not stopped dinosaurs from getting into space. They've actually done it a couple of times. 
not on their own, as it turns out. They had a lot of help from us. So the first time was in 1985. A physicist named Lauren Acton had applied for and secured the role of payload specialist for a space shuttle mission designated STS-51F. Acton's area of interest was in solar activity. He was keenly interested in studying the sun, particularly to learn if there were ways to predict events like coronal mass ejections that could potentially impact communication systems back here on Earth. He was also from Montana, a state that happens to be rich with dinosaur fossils. And that might be why he brought some fossilized bone and eggshell fragments from a Myasaura peeblesaurum. And I have no idea if I'm saying that correctly, but it's a dinosaur that fed their nesting young. So they would build a nest, they would lay eggs, the eggs would hatch, and the dinosaurs would continue to care for their young. This kind of flew in the face of preconceived ideas about dinosaurs. A lot of folks had just assumed they would lay their eggs, wait until they hatched, and then, you know, you're out of the home, kids. Go have some good luck and get out of the house. That's not how these dinosaurs operated. Uh, It's also, by the way, the official state fossil for Montana. So it kind of was a representation of home and of science. So it was a very symbolic sort of thing. I would love to say that the astronauts did some crazy experiments with those dinosaur fossils. But again, it was more symbolic than scientific, but really cool, a a neat gesture. It's also not the only time that dinosaur fossils have made the journey into orbit. In 1998, the Endeavour space shuttle carried a Coelophysis skull to the Mir space station. Again, I could be completely mispronouncing this. Uh, The Carnegie Museum loaned the skull to the to NASA uh, and the astronauts promised they would take very, very good care of it. And sure enough, they returned the skull safe and sound at the conclusion of the mission. As for why they wanted to take the skull up there, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing it was to to promote science. In 2014, NASA included a fossil belonging to a T-Rex on a test flight for the Orion spacecraft. Now, as a test flight, there were no human crew aboard this spacecraft. But it was the first time that the Orion spacecraft would enter orbit. The mission lasted four hours. The spacecraft made two orbits of the Earth before re-entering the atmosphere. The fossil was on loan from the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. And the Orion capsule is now on display at the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex. By the way, I highly recommend visiting the Kennedy Space Center. Uh, My partner and I went there on a whim one year. We ended up becoming annual pass holders. Even though we knew there was very little chance we would be able to get back within that year, we just were so thrilled with it. It was so inspirational. If you are at all interested in rocketry or space, you have got to go. Uh, I got very emotional just looking at the various spacecraft and launch vehicles because sometimes you have to remind yourself that humans are capable of really incredible things when we dedicate ourselves to it. Uh, that's also not the end of dinosaurs in space. Uh, more recently, Blue Origin, which is Jeff Bezos's private space company, sent fossilized dinosaur bones to space as part of the Huntsville Science Festival and an initiative called Dream Big Alabama. These fossils were on a suborbital flight, so they didn't get to circle the planet like the previous cases. Uh, They were from a family of raptors, and this was all part of an effort to promote science and get people excited about STEM subjects. And, you know, inspiration is a really important goal. Okay, we got more crazy stuff that we've sent into space to talk about. Before we get to that, let's take a quick break. 
Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. We're back. And we are going to transition away from dinosaurs to bacteria. So let's talk about salmonella. This family of bacteria are perhaps best known as pathogens. Uh, you know, you probably heard about needing to be careful around food, uh, make sure, making sure that you don't end up contracting salmonella. Salmonella can invade your cells and make you really, really sick. Typically, humans can become infected with salmonella through food poisoning. Uh, it gets more specific than that, but it also gets really icky. Uh, let's just say that if the if the facility that is processing your food or preparing your food isn't following good cleanliness procedures, you have yourself some potential salmonella outbreaks on your hands. And these can be really serious. They can even be life-threatening in severe cases. So salmonella is no joke, right? So why did we send it into space? 
Well, scientists wanted to see what effects salmonella might experience in a microgravity environment, because if we are serious about human space exploration, particularly long-term human space exploration, including colonization, it would be really beneficial to understand what might happen with infectious diseases, including stuff like salmonella. It's, it's a pretty long way to the nearest minute clinic once you're out in space, after all. So getting an understanding of this is critical to ensuring success for future missions. So in 2021, scientists did a pair of experiments. One of them took place here on Earth. The other took place aboard the International Space Station. Now, the Earth one was essentially the control, and in both experiments, scientists took some human cells and they infected these cells with pathogens, salmonella. Scientists already knew that organic cells undergo changes when in microgravity. We had already made this observation. We know, you know, when people go up into space and they spend a lot of time there, they biologically change. Those changes can be on the macro level and noticeable things like, you know, muscle loss because you're no longer supporting your weight because you're in a microgravity environment, but they could be all the way down to a cellular level. So what would happen with human cells infected with salmonella in microgravity? Well, the conclusions aren't quite as definitive as we would like. Uh, this is because the experiment itself had a, a couple of problems uh, along the way. So not all the samples that were sent to space came back in good enough condition to do a full analysis on them. So that's part of the problem is that we don't have the full uh, collection of cells to look at. There's another issue because the International Space Station version of the experiment had a slightly different but potentially significant different amount of pathogen introduced to the control sample, so or to the human cells, as opposed to the, the Earth one. So in other words, if you haven't used exactly the same amount of pathogen in the cells, that alone could affect the outcome of the experiment. So there's, you know, you can't have firm conclusions because you didn't have truly equal uh, experiments on Earth and in the space station. However, with those qualifiers in mind, the scientists found that salmonella appeared to be more virulent in a microgravity environment. That's pretty concerning, right? For a bacteria to become more virulent. But in addition, the human cells appeared to upregulate. So in other words, the cells were ramping up their response to infection, primarily by upregulating genes related to inflammation, which is a, a response to infection. The findings have helped expand our understanding of how the you know humans would respond to infectious diseases in space, that, that this could be very, very different. Therefore, we need to learn more about it to be prepared for those eventualities. That'll be awfully handy once we start sending people on longer missions to distant places in the future. Another question that I think everyone has rattling around in the back of their mind perhaps not even consciously, but I know that it has to be gnawing at everyone, is how does the environment of space affect Lego minifigs? Okay, again, probably I'm projecting here. But we have sent Lego minifigs to space, uh, specifically three minifigs, 
two representing the mythological figures of Jupiter and Juno, Roman deities who, if you prefer the Greek versions, are similar to Zeus and Hera. The other minifig represents the not-at-all mythological figure and actual real-world historical figure of Galileo Galilei. So, why? Why were these Lego figures sent into space? Well, these were actually loaded onto the spacecraft Juno. Juno was sent from Earth to travel to the orbit of Jupiter. So thematically, there is a connection because you have the figure of Jupiter and his wife, Juno. These are obviously associated with the planet Jupiter. And then Galileo historically made some really important observations about the planet Jupiter. So these minifigs are really symbolic and kind of a fun touch to include with this spacecraft. Uh, the spacecraft has been in orbit around Jupiter since July 4th, 2016. That's not when it launched. That's when it arrived at Jupiter. It actually took, oh, I don't know, almost five years to get from Earth to Jupiter. It actually launched on August 5th, 2011. So that is a very long space journey, right? I mean, you think most, most human endeavors in space can be measured in weeks or months, a couple in a year or more, but only a few examples of that. But this was five years of traveling through space to get to the destination. The Juno spacecraft continues to make observations around Jupiter to this day. It's in a polar orbit around the planet. It has continued its mission beyond the planned seven-year scope. So it's another great example of a NASA mission that, that manages to uh, continue to provide us scientific data beyond the planned mission. Currently, the uh, long-term plan here is to keep Juno in orbit around Jupiter until late 2025. And at that point, the spacecraft will be deorbited on purpose to enter Jupiter's atmosphere. The minifigs will truly enter the realm of myth at that point. I do not expect them to survive that travel. Godspeed, you tiny plastic heroes. In fact, a lot of different toys have been sent up to space. Uh, Santa probably goes there every Christmas, right? I mean, that's probably how he's able to get to all the different people on Christmas. He, he hits orbit. But uh, other space missions have also brought toys along for the ride. One such toy was a Buzz Lightyear action figure. You know, Buzz Lightyear from the Toy Story series. In 2008, the action figure hitched a ride aboard the space shuttle Discovery as part of an initiative to get kids excited about space in particular, but science in general. And Disney and NASA actually partnered together to create some interactive experiences like games and and uh, and work assignment type stuff that involved Buzz Lightyear in an effort to trick kids into learning stuff. Buzz's journey brought him to the International Space Station. He stayed on the ISS for 15 months before returning to Earth. And again, he hitched a ride on Space Shuttle Discovery. It's just obviously a very different mission because it was a year and a half, uh, well, not quite a year and a half later, but a year and some change later. The toy even got his own parade at Walt Disney World upon being once more shackled with the surly bonds of Earth. I love that. I wish I'd been at Disney World when that had happened just to watch a parade with a action figure of Buzz Lightyear. I'm guessing on some sort of vehicle being celebrated as a returning hero. 
I wonder if the person who was wearing the Buzz Lightyear costume that day felt like they were being overshadowed by a figure a fraction of their height. I guess I should also mention that the child, a.k.a. Grogu, a.k.a. his real name, Baby Yoda, has also made the trip to space, for reals. Uh, In 2020, a SpaceX Dragon capsule completed the first operational flight of a Dragon capsule carrying a crew to the International Space Station, and a cute plush toy of Baby Yoda was uh, tagging along for the ride. Uh, It was both a morale booster and a quote-unquote microgravity indicator, at least according to the reports I read. I guess that means that when you see baby Yoda's floating around the capsule, you're, you're in microgravity. And when he plummets to whatever surface is down, then you're out of microgravity again. At least I guess that's what a microgravity indicator is. Okay. I've got a few more weird things that we've sent up into space that we should talk about before we jump on to these final little entries in our goofy episode today. Let's take another quick break. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. 
get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Okay, so you probably know that astronaut food is famous for not being terribly appetizing. I want to say that for the longest time, the astronaut meal that was considered the best was the spicy shrimp cocktail because it had enough flavor to kind of punch through the perpetual head cold that astronauts develop when they're out in space. Cause you know, all of your tissues kind of swell a bit when you're out in space and this in a, in turn affects your sense of smell and your sense of taste. And so a lot of food just ends up not tasting like much of anything. So you have to have stuff that has really strong flavors to kind of punch through it all. Well, a lot of astronauts are not super crazy about the foods necessarily. And, you know, you also have to be really careful with it because obviously anything that would escape a container could potentially create problems for the electronics aboard spacecraft and space stations and the like. Well, astronaut John Young got a real talking to about his own choice of contraband food that he smuggled aboard the Gemini 3 spacecraft way back in 1965. Because he got settled into the Gemini 3 with his commander Virgil Gus Grissom while having a secret corned beef sandwich hidden away in one of the pockets of his spacesuit. And a couple of hours into their mission, he pulled it out and offered some to his commander And together, they took a couple of bites of the sandwich while ignoring the food that NASA had actually included for their spaceflight. However, very early on, they realized that, uh uh-oh, this does mean that we're creating crumbs, and these crumbs are just free-floating around the capsule. And in a worst-case scenario, they could potentially interfere with the electronic systems we have. And then it's crisis by corned beef sandwich. So they tucked the sandwiches away and they continued the rest of their mission. However, NASA was uh, now aware of the contraband sandwich. So when they did return to Earth safely, uh, they later were required to attend a very serious debriefing with a whole bunch of people who were very, very cross with them for introducing corned beef to the capsule of the Gemini 3 spacecraft. Uh, They said that at the time it was very intense, but in retrospect, with enough time having passed since it happened, it's just sort of absurdly funny. (laughs) And I can can appreciate that. Now, other food that has been outside the norm that has made the trip up to space include a pizza sent to the International Space Station back in 2001. Now, this really was just a big old publicity stunt from Pizza Hut delivering a pizza to the space station. Reportedly, Pizza Hut paid a million dollars to the Russian space program in order to have one of their pizzas specially wrapped sent up to Yuri Usachov on the International Space Station. They had to go with Russia because NASA has a strict rule about not engaging with commercial brands. NASA does not allow endorsements. They don't want to do product placement. Like the the toy stuff is a little borderline 
if you're being honest, but like they definitely don't want branded foods up there. NASA wants to maintain uh, objectivity and not be, you know, crass in the eyes of the scientific community, not to lower itself to becoming uh, a, a brand placement for various companies out there. But the Russians were happy to take on the gig once the price was right. Now, of course, we do have to mention that one of the strange things that we sent up to space was a Tesla Roadster, specifically Elon Musk's personal Tesla Roadster. Musk used his car as a payload for a test flight of SpaceX's Falcon Heavy launch vehicle. Now, it was like, you know, we're going to put this in place of what a normal payload would be to show you the capability of this heavy launch vehicle. And the car had a mannequin in a spacesuit strapped down behind the wheel named uh, Starman. And the Roadster and Starman and the Falcon Heavy took off in February 2018. And the car was launched into a heliocentric orbit, means an orbit around the sun. It's larger than the Earth's orbit and a little smaller than Mars's orbit. And also the orbital path crosses Mars's orbital path a couple of times. Although, you know, obviously not having the Roadster and Mars at the same place at the same time, just that their paths cross. The mannequin has two songs playing on repeat, one in each year. One is Space Oddity and the other is There There Is Life on uh, Mars. And um, David Bowie is far out, man, I guess. Of course, in space, no one can hear David Bowie. You know, you don't have any molecules to bounce around to carry the vibrations. Uh, if it's within an oxygenated helmet, then yes, you've got a medium through which the music can can move. If there's anything inside the helmet that allows for that, you could do that. But obviously, if you just had it on the car speakers, you wouldn't hear anything. Anyway, we don't even know if that music is still playing. It only plays if the battery is still Got some juice left in it. As I record this, the Roadster is nearly 200 million miles away from Earth, but it is getting closer to us at the moment. It's currently moving away from Mars at this point in its orbit, though depending on when you're listening to this episode, those conditions could be very different. There are, there are websites that track the Roadster's location, so you can actually check up on it and see where it is. Reportedly, the car has a copy of Douglas Adams's science fiction comedy novel, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, inside the glove box. And there's also a towel there, uh, which is important. You always need to know where your towel is. That's one of the jokes from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, there's a sign with Don't Panic written on it on the dashboard. Another Hitchhiker's Guide reference. Really cute, honestly. And again, kind of a publicity stunt, but also just kind of neat. Like... I can't be mad about it. For one thing, <laughs> I mean, it's the car from a billionaire, a guy who at, at certain points in history has been the richest man in the world. If he wants to shoot his cars off into space, whatever, I, I guess that's fine. It's not like I expect him to use that money to really directly benefit humans in meaningful ways. So if he wants to shoot his, his fleet of cars into space, go on now. We get into the grim part of the episode. So let's talk about human remains in space. One of the fringe theories that has made the round since the early days of the space race is that there could be corpses in orbit around Earth, specifically lost cosmonauts, Soviet 
era astronauts who died in mid-mission. Now, it is true that the Soviet Union spent a lot of time and effort concealing various accidents and disasters during their space program. And some of those disasters included the death of cosmonauts, but there's no evidence that any of them were stuck in orbit. There was one case where there was a a depressurization uh, catastrophe aboard a Soyuz capsule as it decoupled from an orbiting platform, but that Soyuz capsule did return to Earth. Uh, A terrible, terrible tragedy that happened. And there was another case where a parachute failed to deploy and uh, the cosmonaut aboard that capsule passed away as well. But there's only ever been one recorded accident that occurred above the Kármán line. This is a boundary that's recognized by some, but not all, scientific organizations as the boundary between space and the Earth's atmosphere. Only one accident has ever happened above that. All the other space-related accidents have happened below that line. However, this doesn't mean that there have not been human remains sent to space. We have put some there on purpose as a sort of space burial. The first recorded example of a space burial kind of uh, really or remains being brought to space would have happened in 1992. This was part of space shuttle mission STS-52, and it was aboard the space shuttle Columbia. The crew brought along with them a small sample of the remains of Gene Roddenberry. Roddenberry is the guy who created Star Trek, and a lot of people who have pursued careers in the space industry credit Star Trek as being one of the reasons they got interested in the subject of space in the first place. Interestingly, Roddenberry would be buried in space a second time, as another sample of his remains was aboard a privately funded space burial in 1997. Now, the 92 example, the remains went up into space and returned to Earth at the conclusion of the space shuttle mission. The 97 example, the remains were sent up to space aboard a rocket and eventually returned to Earth when the spacecraft carrying them ultimately re-entered the Earth's atmosphere in 2002. There are a few companies that offer space burials that will transport remains into space. Some of them will go for suborbital flights, so it doesn't go all the way up into orbit and it does come back down, but depending upon your view of where space begins, you can say the remains went to space and very few people have been to space in the grand scheme of things. So you can kind of see where the appeal is there, but others offer services that would put remains on the moon or into deep space. Some of the people who have had their remains sent to space include people like Timothy Leary, uh, James Doohan, who played Scotty from Star Trek, Clyde Tombaugh, Uh, He's an astronomer who discovered Pluto way back in 1930. His remains or a sample, a small sample of his remains are aboard the New Horizons spacecraft that ultimately will leave our solar system. So he would become the first person to have part of their remains go outside of our solar system. And there are others as well. This is just a, a tiny group of them. And of course... This is not a definitive list of all the weird stuff we've sent into space. There is so much, you know, we've sent a lightsaber prop that Mark Hamill used when he was playing Luke Skywalker in the Star Wars films. Uh, The Voyager has a golden record that, among other things, has a recording of Johnny B. Good on it, which is pretty awesome. 
Uh, a piece of the Wright Brothers original airplane has gone up into space. Amelia Earhart's wristwatch has gone into space. There's so much more, including pictures from Playboy magazine, which were sent to the moon. I didn't learn about that when I was taught about the lunar landing, but apparently this was kind of a kind of a prank pulled on the astronauts. Like they weren't aware they it was in specific uh, mission books that they were using once they were on the surface of the moon. So can you just imagine you're on the moon? You can see the planet Earth in the sky above you. You are further away than anyone else has ever been, really, apart from the astronauts who have actually circled behind the moon and come back. And you're trying to complete an historic mission on the lunar surface, and you turn your mission book page And there's the centerfold from like 1968 or something. I would have imagined that I had gone crazy (laughs) if that had happened to me. I would have sat there and thought, this is what losing your mind feels like. But no, it was a prank. Oh, those wacky NASA folks. All right. Well, that's just, again, a small sample of some of the weird stuff we've sent into space. And Obviously, there's a lot more. Maybe I'll do a follow up at some point and talk about some other examples. But I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you are well. If you have suggestions for topics I should cover in tech stuff, reach out to me. You can let me know on Twitter. The handle for the show is tech stuff HSW, or you can download the iHeartRadio app, navigate over to the tech stuff part by putting that into the little search field. You'll see a little microphone icon. If you use that, you can record a voice message up to 30 seconds in length. Let me know what you would like to hear in a future episode. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.